You're listening to another life-transforming message from Awakened Church with campuses in San Diego and Salt Lake City. To find out more about us, go to awakenedchurch.com. So I got to tell you, I was supposed to preach here last week, like Pastor Mike said, and uh, and it, it's uh, you guys. You guys can take your seats. Feel free. <laughs> Sorry, I, I was supposed to preach here last week, and um, and I had a message prepared. It was good. It was called. Uh, rich and poor, and it was about breaking a poverty mindset. And I was so excited to come out here and and preach. But um, Friday night, we went out to dinner, and on the way home, I just got hit and just felt like, oh, my gosh, I am really, really not feeling well at all. I thought I had a little a little fever. I went to bed super early, woke up Saturday, and was, like, out so Saturday, um, Sunday, in bed, uh, a lot of COVID symptoms. I went and got tested, not positive, praise God. Um, but nevertheless, you know, and, and I was supposed to be this weekend up at Bressy Ranch. And I had another message there that they wanted me to bring that I had preached at, at Balboa and at Eastlake. And I uh, and so I was getting ready uh, for Bressy Ranch, and Pastor Mike called and said, hey, would it be possible for you to come back out to East this weekend? And I said, sure, I'd love to. And so I started to re-prepare the message that I had for you last week, and God said, no, I've got something completely different. He's like, I'm going to bring you in the Bible to, to the book of John, chapter 15, and, uh, and we're just going to park there. I've got something for you. And I want to tell you one of the greatest gifts in being a pastor that gets to, to preach is that God will minister to my heart before he ever brings me up on stage to minister to anybody else. And this has been really stirring in my spirit this week. And I know that whenever there's that much stuff going on of going this way, then going that way, and then going this way, and then going that way, that God is moving and so be expectant today that God is actually going to do something and that he's got a word in season for all of us. So I want you to come with me in your Bibles to John 15:1. But before we get there, I want to I want to give you some definitions. Cuz I think they'll do a good job to set up what we're going to talk about today. And I know language is so powerful. And sometimes I think I'll know the meaning of a word and then I'll look it up and find out that that word that I've been using one way all along, it means something else. And so the first word I want to look at is the word happiness. And we use that word a lot. It's, it's you know, we are given the right to pursue happiness. And I used to get happiness and joy confused, but happiness is actually from the Middle English hap, which means chance or luck. The word perhaps and happenstance have the same root. So happiness is finding satisfaction in happenstance, in what's happening. It's finding satisfaction in circumstances. If what is happening is good, then I'm happy. If what is happening is not good, then I am not happy. That's the way it works. Happiness wavers on the winds of happenstance, the winds of chance. Second word is satisfaction. This one blew my mind this week, and it's from the same Indo-European root that gives us the word sad. In Middle English, sad means sated, tired, satisfied. 
So to be at rest after a pursuit is to not be in pursuit anymore. And the loss of engagement constituted by the loss of pursuit can be saddening. To be satisfied is to be at the end of the race and to have finished well, but it implies an end, and ends are usually sad. You know, there's several examples of mighty men in the Bible who had an incredible conquest and then fell into deep depression. A lot of the mighty men of the Bible are like that, like three big ones, Moses for sure, David for sure, and Elijah. Elijah, uh, in 1 Kings uh, 19.4, Elijah sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. He said, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors who have already died. And depression can come after great achievements. Literally a few hours, just a few hours before he was suicidal, Elijah prayed for rain and it came after a seven-year drought. He had just called actual fire down from heaven. The whole nation of Israel had turned back to God. He had just taken out 850 pagan prophets in a showdown. He turned into like full Jedi strength, outran the king's chariot. Anyway, a little tangent, but maybe there's someone here who recently experienced a major breakthrough and is sitting here just feeling depressed. You know, to be satisfied is to be satiated, full, to be finished. You know, Adolf Hitler invented retirement to kill off old people because he knew that when men stopped dreaming, when men stopped having vision of what would be ahead, when they just got satisfied that it was the end of the race, when they lost their vision, that's when men start to die. So, satisfaction. Next word, success. It's from the Latin uh, secadere, which means to go under. Sub is under and sedere is to go. It literally means to follow. And success is always tied to being a follower. True success is always tied to being a follower. That's where we get the words successor, the next in line to the throne. The successor has to follow the king. Also successive, the next thing. There's a lot to unpack there, but just just file that definition away for now. And the last definition I want to give you is the word joy. And it's the it's it's from the Greek word haha. It is contentment or comfort that comes from deep understanding. It's the good mood of a soul at peace. So, all right, John 15, 1 through 11. If you've got your Bibles, it's about um, seven-eighths of the way through. Uh, we're going to read from the New King James Version today because it's my favorite. Um, John 15, 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. 
If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather those branches and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will also be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in, in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. So, the book of John and the letters of John are both really simple and really, really deep. When, you're, when you start studying the Bible, if you want to start studying the Greek, they always bring you to the book of John because the, the words are so simple and there's so much repetition. But each word is like a deep, deep well. And this just section of scripture, it's like it, it was just, it was so deep to me uh, this week. And here Jesus is talking about growth. I am the vine. And he's also talking about fruit. And fruit in the Bible always has to do with character. Fruit is repeated over and over and over again in this verse. And what he's saying is in order to grow, in order to start having great character and enjoying real success, Jesus is the key to that. He's saying, I am absolutely, with all my power and all my being, I am completely engaged in one goal, to make you a person of greatness, to give you the same incredible glory that I have, and bring beauty into your life so that you'll become a beautiful person too. I am committed to your greatness. I am committed to taking my healthy, vibrant life and hooking you up to me so that it'll come into your life. That's what I'm all about. You know, everything that Christ did, his plans, his loss of his glory, becoming flesh, his death on the cross, his resurrection, everything he did, he did in, in order to break into your life for one purpose, on. your fruit. Yes. And the only way for, him, for you or me or anyone else to bear good fruit is to be connected to Jesus so that his life would flow into our lives and through our life that we would grow and blossom and produce good fruit. You following me? All right, so I didn't get that for a long time. I thought that Christians believed that you have to work really hard for acceptance. The gospel of Santa, I confused for the real gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, they're really similar. Santa knows when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows when you've been bad. He knows when you're good. Santa knows everything. He is omniscient. God and Santa both know everything. They also know this for everybody, so they're omnipresent. They can be everywhere at the same time. And Santa is also all-powerful. In order to complete Christmas, he has to deliver over 24,000 gifts per second in a 24-hour period to give gifts to all the children of the world. And I was learning about Santa, and I was learning about Jesus at the same time. But what I got confused is the Santa gospel is very, very different for, from the true gospel because the Santa gospel says when you're good, you'll be loved. 
the Jesus gospel is when you realize that you're loved and that love flows through you, you won't just be good, you'll be great. And your life will start to bear good fruit. And I wish I understood that when I was young. I didn't. And when I lost my faith in God after heaps of disappointment and my parents' divorce, I went ran as far away from the church as I possibly could. And I tried my best to live out my best life, the Santa gospel, believing if I could just perform well that I'd be happy and loved and accepted. And let me tell you, that did not lead to good things and a great life. It produced pain, dysfunction, addiction, confusion, fear, depression. It didn't produce good fruit, and it certainly didn't produce joy. So my message today is called, I Choose Joy. Because when I heard the gospel and chose to follow God, he started to grow me, and for the first time in my life, I started to experience real joy real peace, and real success. You know, I've heard it said that the natural state of life is towards destruction, towards decay, towards chaos. Anybody have a garden? Anybody? Garden? Garden? Okay. So if you leave your garden with no maintenance, what happens to the plants? They die. They grow wild. It starts to get taken over by weeds. There is chaos. There is destruction. There is not beauty like a well-tended garden. Um, how about anybody speak a language or play an instrument? Anybody learn, learn another language, Spanish, French, something when they were a kid, learn to play piano? What happens when you don't practice? Do you get better at? Okay, right. I was born in France. French was, uh, I learned French and English at the same time, but when I don't practice, somebody that practices all the time comes up to me, starts speaking in French, and I'm really struggling to keep up. That's how life flows naturally. Metal rusts, food rusts, skills are forgotten, hearts grow dim, fires burn out. Anybody married here? What happens when you neglect your spouse? Is it good? Do you start to feel like you love them more? Do you start to feel like there's less tension in the house? No, okay. Life on its own doesn't wind upward. It goes downward like an escalator straight to hell. And I know there's someone that's out there that's thinking like I did that if life naturally does that, then that proves it. God is evil. It's not God's intention. None of that is God's intention. If you want to see what God's intention looks like, go to the Garden of Eden. You know, that's the way the, the world, that's the world the way God wanted it to be. No disease, no death, no hatred, no cruelty. The world is broken because we decided to try to be in charge of it. Just like my car would be broken if I handed the keys to my three-year-old son. And it wouldn't take very long. You know, so here we have a broken world and we have all of this. So, like I said, when I was five or six, my parents got divorced and I lost my faith in God and Santa and the Tooth Fairy and the Easter Bunny. And I started to try to work things out on my own because I didn't really trust anybody anymore. And I kind of ripped the limiter off my life. If God and Santa weren't watching, then who cares? 
I started stealing, I started lying, watching porn, doing drugs. There was, not when I was six, but parts of those things. So <laughs> I started hanging out with kids that were like me. I started doing all of that stuff and there was pleasure, but it was mixed with shame. I wanna tell you when pleasure and shame get mixed together, that's like the devil's cocktail because it produces so much confusion, so much self-doubt. It's like, oh my gosh, this thing felt really good, but oh my gosh, I feel like I'm so dirty and broken and wrong. But God, that felt good for a moment. And I had a lot of that, that stuff going on. And when I was 16, I was using drugs every day. I was a mess. But at my worst times, there were kids in my junior high and my high school that really were looking out for me and they were trying to help me. They were trying to get me saved. They were trying to get me healthy. And I was so friggin' offended. When people would offer to pray for me, I thought they were saying, I'm better than you. What they were really saying is this is all I have to give. And this is awkward for me, but I'm willing to do this because I care about you and I believe in the God that set me free and I believe he can do it for you too. And I just, I couldn't, I couldn't see it. Because I thought they were trying to get me to give up my drugs, you know, which were the only thing at the time that I thought were making my life barely tolerable. And then if I became a Christian, they wouldn't let me have sex before marriage and I'd have to give a bunch of money to the church. Is it just me or does anybody else think that's, that's funny? That's like the big argument, you know? I've been asked so many times and in so many ways by my non-Christian friends, the same question. All of them say something like, wow, Morgan, man, your life is really going somewhere. You look like, you look great. There's all this great stuff going on. You know, I, I wish my life was going as good as yours. So if, if I were to become a Christian, I want you to help me with this, help me understand, um, what are the rules? You know, I heard you can't have sex before marriage and, um, and I heard you have to tithe, so you have to give a lot of money away to the church. Uh, is that true? What else can't you do? You know, and sometimes they'll toss in like a, a, a little question like, why does God let bad things happen to good people? Or uh, would God forgive Hitler? You know, and all of those questions are really the same question that Adam and Eve asked in the garden. And it is the root of all evil. It's the father of all lies. And that question is, is God really good? And the idea is, is he doesn't want me to have sex before marriage. And he wants to take all of my money because he wants me to, he wants to deprive me. And they want to know if God causes evil to happen to good people because he himself is actually evil. And it's, it's absolutely not true. What Christ is saying in the verse that we read, he, he literally says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full a spiritually, emotionally, physically, and relationally healthy Christian should be full of joy. You know, Jesus never told his disciples to be happy. In the entire Bible, he never said, hey, don't worry, be happy. The closest thing that he said, and he said it a few times, was be of good cheer. 
But if you look at the Greek and what that phrase actually means, it doesn't mean to be happy. It means to be courageous. It means let your heart be filled with courage. And the times that he said that were always an encouragement when they needed it the most. There are, the, there are three things or situations that I've seen that can be a block to joy in a person's life. And that's what I want to talk to you about today in, uh, in the time that we have together. And the first block to joy that I've found, I'm going to call the where's my fruit or are we there yet syndrome. You know what happens? You, do you know what happens when when there's too much that weight that gets put on a branch, what happens to the branch? It breaks, right. God is really good and he won't bless us to break us. But there are times that he will cut off branches that need to be pruned. There's times that he'll prune us so that we'll grow stronger and we'll able, be able to carry the weight of a greater harvest later. Hey, have you guys ever seen what it looks like when, when grapevines are pruned? You've got these big, beautiful vines that are full of leaves and full of life, and they prune them back so they look like a dead shrub, like a dead stump. And you can walk through a vineyard and see all of these dead leaves and even some fruit lying on the ground and wonder, like, what the heck just happened? Are these vines ever going to survive? And God will sometimes do the same thing to us, not because he wants to harm us, not because he wants us to suffer, but because he wants us to grow and be stronger. And in order to allow him into those areas, we have to trust him. You know, when I was 20, I got into a relationship that I really, really, really wanted to work out. I wouldn't let it go. And it was so dysfunctional that it produced all kinds of bad fruit. But I wanted it to be my happily ever after. I wanted this girl to be my happily ever after. And it went on for 16 years off and on, way more off than on. But I would never let it go. I just insisted that I, I wanna be friends with her. And it left the hooks in. And I mean, she was legitimately a sociopath and I was addicted to her. But before I could actually step into a fruitful relationship that led to marriage and to children and to health and to happiness and joy in my life, real joy in a relationship, that relationship had to be cut off completely and it had to be allowed to die. It couldn't just be a little tiny branch that was in there that I was allowing to be there. And there's, there's some of you uh, that are thinking, God, where's my fruit? I've allowed for the pruning, now where's my fruit? And I needed to go through a long season of winter where those little budding branches that were starting to stick out were solely reliant on the vine for life. I had to get to know God in an intimate level before those little branches could start to grow and actually start to reach out into a healthy relationship and start to reach out and bear good fruit. I always tried to negotiate the blessing coming before the pruning. And I, I wouldn't say it directly, but I, what I really was, was saying was like, God, you will bless, if you will bless me, I'll let you have all of me. 
and it doesn't work like that. He's too good to allow that blessing to come on weak branches. So for that group, I just want to say a quick prayer. You don't have to raise your hands, but just in the privacy of your heart, I'm not going to ask you to come up here just yet. Just pray quietly. If you feel like there's areas of life that you need to allow God to prune, just say, Holy Spirit, are there any areas of my life that I haven't let God prune that are holding me back from bearing the kind of fruit that he wants me to bear? I just want to take a second here and listen to what the Holy Spirit's speaking to you. And if there's areas in your life like that, just note them for now. All right, amen. So the second area that I've seen is a real block to joy. I'm going to call the messy house or what happened to my blessing syndrome. And you know, before I got married, this problem used to happen a lot more regularly, but thank God my incredible wife keeps the house clean and in order for the most part, you know, and we live in a beautiful house. It's filled with art. It's filled with the furniture that I always wanted to have. It's filled with uh, modern lighting and a lot of things. We live 150 feet from the ocean. I love where we live when it's clean. And when I've, when the house has had a deep clean, when it's beautiful, there is nothing more than I love than to be at home. But before I got married, I would have this experience where my house would be really clean and then I would get busy with a work project and I would make excuses not to clean as I go. You know, and I'd try on three or four shirts in the morning and then they'd end up on a chair in my room and I'd make dinner at night or I'd make breakfast in the morning and I wouldn't clean my dishes right away. I'd tell myself that I would do it later, but then later wouldn't come and dishes would build up in the sink and I wouldn't rake the leaves outside and I wouldn't squeegee the shower door and I wouldn't pick up my towels and eventually my house that was beautiful that I loved would start to become a real mess and I wouldn't want to be there I wouldn't make dinner there I wouldn't even want to go in the kitchen because I didn't want to face the disaster that was waiting for me in there so I would eat out I would only go home to sleep and I had about 30 or 40 pairs of socks and underwear so I could go a while without needing to do laundry But if I really got to the end of my socks and underwear, there was a giant pile of dirty, smelly clothes somewhere in the house. And eventually when I got to that point, if I didn't go out and buy myself new socks and underwear, which guilty is charged sometimes, but I would eventually need to take everything down to the laundromat because I couldn't even do that kind of laundry at home. And if I, if I had money, I'd go down to the fluff and fold, pay a buck 25 a pound, take all my laundry down there, let them do it for me. Or I would do it myself, take three or four hours. And I would take a whole day to deep clean my house. And when I got home from the laundromat with the clean laundry, I'd make my bed first, clean up my room, start to go after the bedrooms and the bathrooms, work up to the living room, and eventually work up to the kitchen. Go outside, rake the leaves, clean all the windows. And it would usually take me till about three or four in the afternoon. And at three or four in the afternoon, when I was finally done vacuuming, everything was put away. My house was restored to the beautiful state that I loved. My favorite thing to do would be to sit on the couch, look out at my beautiful house, and I'd be immediately filled with gratitude again for the place that God allowed me to live. And almost immediately, my thoughts would shift to, gosh, I should invite people over for dinner or a movie or a game night or all of the above. I wanna get people into my house. I wanna be around people. Immediately I'd go from being grateful to immediately wanting to reach out to people. 
and my internal life is exactly the same. It doesn't matter how much blessing I've gotten. If I've let things get messy, if I've let the sun go down on my anger, if there's people that I won't forgive, if I've been living in fear and I haven't brought it to God, I haven't brought it to the cross, I haven't brought it to people, if I've been isolating myself and stepping away, if I've been in any kind of sin, if that sin's gotten out of control and become an addiction in my life or some sort of stronghold in my life, it doesn't matter how blessed I am, I will feel far from God. And I bet there's probably some people in a room this size that are experiencing that right now, that there's a lot on the outside of your life that you should be grateful for, but you just can't seem to find the gratitude in you. And I just want to pray for you right now. Again, we're not going to come forward right now, but just bow your heads. And Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you bless us abundantly. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would now reveal in every single one of us areas where there's a little bit of mess. And God, I pray that you would bring those things to the surface and allow us to bring them to the cross and lay them down and that you would take those things away and restore that beauty in us. And God, if there's people that we need to forgive, that you would bring their names to mind, that we would reach out via a text or a phone call today before the sun goes down, forgive those people, restore those relationships so that we would be able to enter back into that joy of thanksgiving with you. Amen. All right. So the last, uh, last one, are you ready for this? It's getting a little hot in here. You guys doing okay? Okay. So the last area I'm going to call the downward escalator, you know, and this is this, this area that I couldn't seem to escape for a while. And there's probably some of you that feel like you can't seem to get off the down escalator. And this was my life before I truly got saved. I thought I knew God because I really, I really did. When I, was, when I was deep in drug and alcohol addiction at 19 years old, I was confronted with the reality of my addiction. I looked in the mirror one day and I saw the truth about my life. I couldn't stop doing drugs. I couldn't stop drinking. I couldn't stop any of it. And my life was going downhill really fast. I'd experienced overdoses. I thought that I was gonna die several times. I had friends that rescued me. I had God send angels into my life at the times that I needed the most. And I was standing in front of a mirror, looking at my own face and realizing that my life needed to change completely and I couldn't change it on my own no matter how hard I tried. I was stuck on that downward escalator and I could not get off on my own power. And in that moment, I got down on my knees and I prayed to a God that I didn't completely understand. I didn't know his name was Jesus. I just called him God. And I said that powerful, simple, three-word prayer of God help me. And he did like that in an instant. He took my addiction that I'd been struggling with for years. And at 29 years old, I thought I knew him. I had been studying spiritual books. I had been praying. I still thought Christians were small-minded bigots that believed in Santa Claus, but there was, there was something in me that believed that God was real. I just didn't know his name yet. But when I gave him my addiction, that was the only area of my life that I gave him. There were still areas that I wouldn't allow him to prune. There was my sex life. There was my finances. There was my work life. There were my friendships. There were a lot of areas that needed to be pruned back so they could start to be healthy. And I didn't even know how to let him in. But I thought I knew him. I thought I knew him, and I was stuck on this downward escalator. 
where no matter how hard I tried to get out from under, I just kept getting pulled back. And I would do this thing where I'd be like, good. And I'd be good for a while. I'd be like, good, good, good. And then boom, down. I'd do something that I promised myself I would never do again. And I just couldn't seem to stop. And I heard the gospel preached. I was 29 years old. I was, it was May of 2005. And I heard the gospel preached. And what I thought was the gospel got completely turned around in a single service. And what I thought the gospel was, was that I had to get good in order to get God's blessing. And what I heard preached is that when, when I let God, when I asked him, when I recognized God, not only can I not do good on my own? I haven't done good my whole life, and I know that I can't. But I'm asking you, because of what Jesus did, will you graft me into that vine? Will you, con will you connect me to your life so that your life will start to flow into me? Will you start to mature me like a father matures a son in his time and in his way that you're not going to rush me along or give me a bad life, but God, I'm gonna trust that you're gonna change me from the inside out. And I started to believe that, oh my gosh, I think that that's the only way that, that this could work. That's the only way that that could happen. And so I prayed a simple prayer that I'm gonna invite you to pray with me if you're feeling like you're on that downward escalator and you feel like you can't get off. In a moment, I'm gonna invite you to pray with me that same prayer that I prayed 15 years ago. Because I'm gonna tell you that like when I was trying to do life on my own, there was a lot of dysfunction. I, even though I was physically sober from drugs and alcohol, I became a sex addict, became a porn addict. I was in bisexual and homosexual relationships. I couldn't seem to escape all of these things that I thought were giving me a little bit of, of hope, all these things that were mixing pleasure and shame that I couldn't seem to get off that escalator. I had an eating disorder. I was a workaholic. I had I, all of this dysfunction in my life, and it was honestly the absolute best that I could do on my own, and that's where it got me, and I felt like I couldn't escape. And I heard that there was a man who was God, who came to earth and humbled himself with the sole purpose of setting me free and maturing me so my life would start to bear good fruit. And I had enough hope for a moment that I asked that he would do the same thing for me. And for those of you who have been in church for a long time, or those of you who are new, there's a scripture in the Bible that says, in our testimonies, is the spirit of prophecy. And what that means is God doesn't choose favorites. He doesn't, he's impartial. But if there's somebody that's had a testimony that they've been set free, because God did it for them, he is prophesying in that testimony that he will do it for you too, if you'll just let him. So my life today doesn't look anything like it did when I got saved. 
my life was dysfunctional. There was a lot of pruning that needed to happen. There was a lot that needed to change. There was a lot of healing. There was a lot of time and intimacy with God that needed to happen before I started to spring out in new life and started to bear fruit. But 15 years later, I have got a life that I believed truly in my heart of hearts that I was disqualified from ever having. I have an incredible, loving, beautiful wife. I have two beautiful children. I own a company that's successful. I'm able to bless others through the company that I own. I am a well-respected member of my community. I'm a well-respected member of this church. I don't have any secrets. I don't have any secrets between me and my wife, between me and my friends. My life is a pretty open book. And you know what? The secrets, when I let them out, they weren't things that caused me to be rejected, but actually things that people told me that because I was able to let those things out, it allowed them to breathe a little easier and find a little hope that God could do it for them too. When I go to bed at night, when my head hits the pillow, I fall asleep. I don't have a problem laying awake in bed, feeling like the walls of my life were crashing down around me. I used to have that every single night and I haven't had that in a really long time because Jesus has actually changed my life. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter <clears throat> what you've done, how far down you've gone on that escalator this morning. This can be the moment that you get off of it for good. So I just want to invite all of you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Right now, I want to, I just want to pray that um, while no one's looking around, if you're the one that's feeling stuck on the down escalator, no matter how hard you've tried on your own, you can't seem to turn it around. Will you raise your hand so I can pray for you? God bless you, God bless you, God bless you, God bless you. I don't care how many promises you've made and especially if you've tried and tried on your own power, if you just feel like you can't get off, I wanna pray for you and I believe that there's a couple of people that are like, I'm in church, I can't raise my hand. I promise you, nobody's looking around. If you'll raise my, God bless you right there. God bless you. I also wanna pray with the other two groups that we prayed earlier. So if you have areas that you need to let God prune, or if you've been blessed, but you still feel far from God, and you know that you've let some mess build up, will you guys raise your hands as well so I can pray for you? God bless you, 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 God bless you. So while every head is still bowed and every eye is still cold, closed, I wanna ask you to join me in this prayer. And if we can all pray this together so that the people that raise their hands will know that they are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses that there's going to be a power in this moment that's gonna come into your life, but then there's also going to be a process and people that are going to surround you and help you walk that out, start to walk in function and blessing and enjoy. So if you could repeat after me, Heavenly Father, I thank you today that you so loved me that you sent Jesus Christ, your only son, 
on a rescue mission to save my life because I'm that valuable to you. I ask you, Jesus, come into my heart. I thank you that your death on the cross has wiped away all my sin. Today I declare that I am forgiven, clean, washed, brand new, and born again. I declare heaven is my home and God is my father. And I ask you today, deliver me from dead religion into a gospel of hope, into a gospel of life, and surround me with a community that will help grow me into the fruitful branch that will bear much fruit in joy. In Jesus' matchless name, amen. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenedchurch.com.